Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Beardy Man and we have a great chat. It goes all over the place this and we talk about some bands that have not been mentioned before on this podcast and it was a joy to get to talk about them i won't say who um it's all coming your way shortly first things first uh some thank yous um big thanks to scroobius pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network which this podcast is very proud to be part of i mentioned scroobius pip also if you love your podcasts um pip and i have uh, a podcast uh, called tell me about it and we've just finished season one and you can go and listen to all of the episodes now it's uh, a long form conversation between uh, pip and me and it's um it's lovely and i think you'll really enjoy it so um if you get a moment go check an episode out it's called tell me about it um I'd also like to thank 76 for producing this podcast. Um, the biggest thanks always go to you lot. And we talk about Patreon quite a lot uh, on this episode as well. Um, Beardy Man's, um creates a lot of stuff uh, over on, on, uh, the, for his Patreon community. And, and I should mention my Patreon and, and, and some of the things that we have going on over there. It only costs you a dollar a month. So I think, you know, we know that times are, are, are tight and are looking to get a little tighter. Um, so for... 20 pence a week i'll try and keep you uh full of good stuff and uh and by that i mean you get access to a back catalog of hundreds of radio shows um you can watch all of the episodes ad free um there's so much stuff you can get uh over on the patreon but what i'm doing at the moment which i think you're going to really enjoy is you can feature on an episode and so what i've done uh the first one I might even have put it out now for you to have a listen to. Um, but I, I work my way through the questions that this podcast is all built around. And so the first one I've done, I'll do it on Zoom and everybody can join. You can have your camera on and your mic on or you can just stay, you know, with your camera off and your mic off and just watch it. Um, but I ask everybody for track one, obviously, to bring all their intros along. So we all sat there and we discussed our favourite intros and, and just had a bit of a, a geeky little music chat and it was lovely um it's a really nice bunch of people over on patreon and i'm going to be doing one of them a month um so i'd love to see you um at one of those and and essentially that that dollar a month it just goes in the pot to to ensure that i can continue to give you two episodes for free each week um because it's you know it is it, a labor of love but it is a lot of work to 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 release two podcasts each week uh and can and i've pretty much done that now for pretty nearly four years so it's been uh it, it, it's i've been busy with this pod and i love doing it i love doing it so much and yeah and if uh 
if you can't spare a dollar a month, I understand, as I said, times are, are tough. All I ask is that you give us a like, love, a share, or a follow on the on the social medias. We're on um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And, yeah, give it a share like, or tell your mate about this podcast because uh, I should also say that if Beardy Man is your first uh, time listening to Off The Beaten Track, you've missed like 430-odd episodes now. And uh, from, yeah, uh, DJs such as uh, Fed Legrand, Fatboy Slim, producers like um, Butch Fig, uh, through to big rock heavyweights like Motley Cruz, Tommy Lee and the Foo Fighters, through to indie darlings such as Suede, Idols, Sleaford Mods, uh, Wombats. Uh, more recently, my guests have included Interpol, um, Aha, Embrace, through to some real uh, heavyweight uh, acting talent like Maxine Peake, uh, Thomas Turgoose, Michael Smiley, Joe Hartley, Amanda Abington. Um, yeah, been really, really lucky that to have got to chat to so many amazing creative people. And if you like a laugh, um, I had a lot of comedians on. Ed Gamble, James Acaster, uh, Jade Adams, uh, Macy Adams, uh, loads. So just go and explore that back catalogue and it's all there for free. Um, anyway, you can find out everything you need to know about the Patreon and the social media links and anything else uh, off the beat and, not beaten, off the beat and track podcast.com anyway please enjoy today's episode of off the beat and track podcast with beardy man sorry ladies and gents i've just got to jump in quickly and tell you that this podcast is proud to be in partnership with hotel chocolat that's right hotel chocolat those people that make all the delicious chocolatey stuff right they have been my partner now for close to two years and i can't thank them enough um and the one way that i can kind of help them is by telling all you lot about what they're up to. You know all about the chocolate stuff because you, you go and get your chocolates from there. But some of you like a little tipple of booze, right? So if you do, you need to check out their velvetized cream range. So what they've done is they've got loads of all your favourite spirits and then they've added their lovely chocolatey, magic-y stuff to it. So you can get like, uh, my favourite's the mint chocolate one. Go check out their mint chocolate velvetized cream because it is delicious. The salted caramel one will blow your socks off as well. There's loads. You need to go and check out uh, the alcohol range that um, Hotel Chocolat do. And I'm proud to tell you that this podcast is in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. Go check them out. But right now, get back to the podcast. <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stew with him. Okay, we are recording. Beardy Man, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Looks like a, a lovely little studio setup you got there. Talk me through what's there. Looks good. Uh, so I've got four iPads, an Ovation launch pad a nectar 61 key keyboard i have a ddj sr2 from pioneer i could list the serial numbers <laughs> if you want. <laughs> lots of stuff and a green screen that wraps around me and a bunch of cameras and a computer some lighting are we setting the scene adequately? yeah yeah it's lovely it's lovely right um before we get on to your your song choices today i just want to ask you to to tell me a little bit about the surreal and bizarre um 
18 months of, of lockdown that we all got thrown into. And just tell me how you found that both personally and creatively. A nightmare. <laughs> it was terrible. I hated it. <laughs> it's well rubbish, wasn't it? <laughs> it was crap. It was so bad. Yeah, I went mad multiple times. I mean, the, the fear was nuts to sort of have this unseen cloud of horror and dis- and sort of grossness and, you know, and, and to suddenly come to fear your fellow man and, and like, to question everything that you'd, you'd never questioned before about, like, proximity to people. And like, I understand that for people who, are, who had, like, germophobia or agoraphobia, it was extremely triggering. But then we all landed up, I certainly landed up having those things. Mm. And I think we all did to some degree. But there are some people who just didn't. Who Some people were like, nah, I'm just, I'm better off with denial. Like, it isn't real. It isn't happening. Some, for some people, the power of denial was so strong that they ended up resorting to wild conspiracy theories. Fascinating psychologically to watch it all happening. Amazing to watch everyone's kind of calculus of risk changing and adapting in real time. You know, this huge kind of like matrix of variables that goes into whether or not somebody will go to the supermarket or not, you know, at the height of the pandemic. It's like, yeah. well, do you, re- do you regard this thing as a risk? If so, how much of a risk? Uh, how does that inform your actions? Um, which actions do you intend on taking? Which actions are you willing? You know, there's a waiting for each action about you know, what, what risk it's worth doing, how much inconvenience you're willing to go through to do any given action. So, you know, you're constantly, consciously, well, I was anyway, consciously assessing risk all the time. But then again, maybe I'm like slightly spectrumy or something and that's I'm prone to do that and I got really overwhelmed. But I think a lot of people got completely overwhelmed. It was immensely stressful for like most people. And I, I kind of envy the people who were able to to have denial just kick in so that they were shielded from all, all this stuff, you know. But it's like people who were like overly religious or superstitious or prone to magical thinking of any kind, like you'll look for an easy solution and there's your heuristic for going about your day and then that's fine. But for people who like to kind of analyze and take things apart and think scientifically and um, really process stuff and be comfortable with constantly assessing risk, it was a nightmare. Yeah. So I think I think I think that's most people. Anyone who I respect was like bothered by it at some point. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. What about sort of creatively? Where, creatively. Where, yeah. Where did that sort of like have, having the time where all of a sudden you can't go and have dinner you can't go hang out with your friends you can't go and you know do a gig you can't you know these things all just stopped and I'm I'm always interested at artists kind of generally when I speak to most artists they never have time uh and and so it's a case of all of a sudden they've got copious amounts of time and I just wonder did you you know having so much available time during lockdown did you put any pressure on yourself to go right well look you know I've got time now I need to I need to max this or like yeah I didn't I didn't have any time I've got three kids it was a nightmare <laughs> like, the, 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 the pandemic really divided people by like people who people who like have children and people who don't because there's a chasm between those kind of groups anyway yeah but when you're locked in your house uh with like I've got three children and at the time they were very young. You know, they were like the, I t- I've got twins who were, who were both two when the pandemic started Man. and then an, an, an older kid who was five when it started. So it was like being locked in a chimp enclosure, trying to guard a cream cake. It, like, it's, <laughs> And the cream cake is your sanity. And like, 
you know, and it's curdling all the time and there's glass flying everywhere and, and things throwing the excrement at your face. And, um, and then you're trying to like make sure that your marriage doesn't, doesn't rot away in amongst the stress. It's just honestly, I mean, don't even talk to me about creativity. It was a nightmare. So like, you know, yeah. I mean, I was really jealous of people who just had all this free time. Who mm-hmm. are like, yeah, like ennui and loneliness and depression can set in when you're stuck on your own for a while. So that's a completely different problem. But like, I luckily I had like the welcome distraction of having like three kids to maintain and try and educate and keep sane at the expense of me and my wife's sanity. Uh, but like, no, creatively, like what I was able to do was carve out three hours a day. I had three hours a day. My wife had three hours a day. And with those three hours, I mean, obviously once the kids went to bed, then I was able to kind of do a bit of work as well. But like during the day I was able to like, I was, I was like, right, okay, we're going to be trapped in the house for ages. Um, I'm only going to get three hours a day. So I kind of just adapted to that. I was like, right, I'm not going to start any mad projects. Like I actually, before the pandemic, I had this project that I'd committed to where I was going to release like a track a week for the whole year. Cause I can make tunes really fast. And some of them were going to have music videos and blah, 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 blah. No way that was going to happen. Yeah. Like, just no way with being trapped at home with the kids. So, like, and then after a while, like, I just didn't have the sanity to do anything. Like, there were there were parts of that, like, two years where I was just, like, sometimes I was really fired up. And I was like, right, I've got three hours a day. I'm going to do live streams. And they're going to be absolute fire. And they were. But, like, you know, there were other times where I just couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was just, my brain was full. Um, but I still managed to like get in the studio and do stuff, but it was like that short burst stuff. So it was, I mean, luckily what I tend to do is like, I'm improvising in the moment anyway, but I just wasn't going to start any grand projects, like starting an album that needs like focused attention because your attention gets broken completely, you know, um, when there's like three kids around and they're all trapped in a house with you. But like, no, but I, I started a Patreon and the Patreon saved my life in lots of ways. Like financially it did because all the gigs stopped. Um, and in terms of like feeling the presence of others and having other people to jam with and, and chill with, um, like, you know, we were all like phoning friends and having zoom dinners and all this crap. But, um, with my patrons who are paying for me to keep making art actually there hanging out on discord and paying me through Patreon, I felt like I had an artistic mission and like a creative purpose, um, which you can you know that happens if you're if you have an outlet playing shows or whatever um but yeah that was a really good proxy for live shows like streaming with people on the line so what i ended up doing was i invited people into my studio virtually um i'll be making some tunes and then they would like be would all be chatting and like having a laugh and talking rubbish and then i'd sample the things that they're saying and then you know if if someone says something that that it's funny it's it's already in the loop i just press like capture and it's already looping and then i'm making a tune out of it so that was really fun and like and then you know growing with this group of people feeling like it's a community that's growing there's a level of intimacy there that i think every artist should have and it was never really possible before the internet It was never possible before patreon really yeah um and things like discord make it so if you don't know what discord is discord is like a it's like a you get your own server on which people can chat talk like forum kind of stuff voice video but it's it's well built forget the fact that it's part owned by the chinese government uh <laughs> it's like it's a really good vector for community community building it's it, it's awesome 
so yeah, using that like interaction tech and live streaming, I managed to stay sane mm. by having a creative outlet that was something other than screaming children, invisible fear cloud outside, that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's a long answer for. I'm liking it. But that's 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 the answer. Um, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Patreon because again, it's something that that I sort of got stuck into as well during during that point and. And I literally done my first Zoom show uh, over Patreon uh, last last week for this very podcast, and and it and I asked everybody to bring along their favourite intros, and there was just a lot of nerdy chat, and it was lovely, and everybody was just bringing their intros to the table and talking about them, and so that's a kind of real tenuous link to to start your playlist, and for track one, the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. I don't know, man. It's like being it's like being asked to pick a favorite child or a favorite color or something. But today, I know, I what is it pick, today? Well, what is? I don't know. It's pretty arbitrary. But like, I don't know. It, I was going to put down like "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond" because that's like one of the most giant, epic. Mm. What is it? Like a seven-minute intro or something? Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've chosen. You think I ain't worth a dollar, but I feel like a millionaire by Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, that's a fucking tune, right? It is a fucking tune. <laughs> it's, it's such a good intro that when the tune actually kicks in, I dare you to turn that tune off. You yeah. can't. It's like a fucking freight train. It's perfect. Yeah. Perfect intro. And the whole tune just just rattles its way through. And you you can't turn that track off once it started. It's just ugh, perfect. Perfect. That, um, like the kind of sort of radio chat before and then when the, fucking drums come they're just pulling you in and then yeah. literally it's just an onslaught of racket and it's fucking glorious yeah, it really is. yeah it's amazing it's the it's it's maybe the perfect tune it's like forget the fact that nick oliveri is a lunatic yeah. but um, um <laughs> but yeah and the, the first word of it once the lyrics come in is space fucking <laughs> fall on the floor <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure that makes sense um it's fucking amazing yeah it's, it's the perfect intro because it starts with like a bit of like you know sound design foley stuff to kind of yeah. lead you in like you feel like you're getting into the, into a car and then the radio is being turned on and then there's like a fictitious radio station so already you're into this world and then they introduce the track the track comes in you sounds like you're listening on a shitty like clock radio or something and then the balance and the mix and the master is so perfect when the drums finally come in. And it comes in with screaming. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. It's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I want to talk to you about intros. Uh, and as an artist, you just looking around your studio and you talking about what you've done over lockdown and, and the setup that you've got there to enable streams and, and you know, the, the green screen behind you, etc. So you're somebody that's obviously completely on point with tech and, and changes in, in, in... I try to be. Well, when you first made music, the way that people would get that would be far different to how a lot of people are getting music now. And and with them, you know, with things like I watch my children and the way they grab their music from things like TikTok and, and apps and things like that, it's like far different from me venturing down to, to, to you know, to, to, to buy a record. Um, to the way that people get their music and that kind of 
it feels, I mean, you've just mentioned Floyd, which is the sort of complete opposite. Um, but it, it feels to me that attention spans in, in younger people, from my experience, seem to be getting a little shorter and pop songs are getting shorter. And they are, they are, they definitively are. Like, and songs are becoming just they're little jingles now. Yeah. Like the, the, I mean, I, I had a, an experience with a major label recently. Uh, some tune I'd made just for a joke ended up getting licensed and they made this big music video for it. I was just like, I sampled uh, Joe Rogan reading a, uh, a an apocryphal list of substances consumed by Hunter S. Thompson on a daily basis and put a techno beat behind it and a little bass line. Thought nothing of it and then it ended up, there was this like bidding war going on between like record companies. But like, um, finally, uh, I was on this major just for this one tune and they were trying to edit the tune and change the tune. They wanted me to cut it down and down and down and down. I had to fight them to be like, please don't make me make this a two minute song. Like yeah. it kicks in around two minutes in. Uh, like, like so, you know, there's there's like 12 inches. Of, I was listening to a, a 12 inch of, um, um, was it Womack and Womack? Is it Footsteps on the Dance Floor? I think today. And like, that's like, um, that's like 10 minutes long or something. You know, yeah. you've, you've just... You've got to let things simmer, you know. You can't. It's exhausting that everything has to be. Everything has to kick in within seven seconds. Yeah. Well, you've kind of answered my question there, so it it doesn't filter through into your creative consideration, like that kind of. Well, if I want to get on this Spotify playlist, I've got to chop all the fat off of this, and it's got to be, you know, this, like you say, almost a jingle like uh, you know how much does does that affect you at all is it a consideration um i don't know if you want to play like the pop game then yeah. you've got to think about that kind of stuff but i mean i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not in the pop game mm-hmm. like if you know if you're if you want to appeal to i don't know like people who see music as a kind of cute accompaniment to whatever they happen to be doing at the time like they're buying a newspaper or they get some fish and chips wrapped or like or they're in a in a hairdresser or like yeah like you can have like lifestyle music that's just like in the background and i hate that like i hate the idea that music is um some kind of like easily kind of comestible sort of you know plastic shrimp shrink wrapped product that is you know there's someone being sold behind it as the product and the music is the sort of advertising vehicle and you know you've got to look really cool in the video and like i mean that's that's there to be subverted i think 100 you know like it's i mean also you've got to consider what mediums your stuff's for you know if you want to make something for dance floors it's not going to be two minutes long Mm -hmm. if you're making something for I mean, you can make like a two-hour ambient study mix for YouTube, and then that—that's what that's for. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, look at someone like Nils Fromm, for example. I don't think he's thinking about the Spotify algorithms, for example. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, it's—I don't know. It's, uh, I could give more examples of people who don't quite fit the mold, but yeah. I mean, there are people kind of really pushing it out there. Like at the moment, there's an app, there's an app called Endless by um, one of my biggest influences, Tim Exile, who um, in the uh, early noughties was making insane break core where he'd be like literally naked behind a laptop with those MIDI controllers sticking out of it, making music that you couldn't possibly dance to just aim and breaks and Hoover synths flying at you in dark rooms. It was a mad time for music. And, um, 
now he's made this app called Endless and it's a jamming app, but it uses all the technology that he's built throughout the years to do this kind of improvised electronic stuff. And it's amazing. And it's a completely different paradigm. And he's kind of invested in the whole kind of Web3 idea where, you know, you jam with others. Everyone contributes to... Uh, contributes? That's a weird way to say it. Everyone contributes to these jams, which are sort of online, server-based everlasting ongoing ever-evolving songs which you can loop into you can remix bits of them it's very fluid in the app it's, it's fun to use you can just jam with people and um you invite people to jam it's like a way of way of interacting a way of conversing so he he's reframing music as an activity to be partaken in rather than something to consume finished polished nuggets of and i i like that so i, I sort of subscribe yeah i sort of subscribe to the idea that you know, music is just, it's musical ideas that are happening. Like, if, however you, however long you decide to make something or how you decide to package it or whatever length of story you decide to tell, you know, you just have to think of what suits. You know, Spotify is only one, one vehicle, but also Spotify or Spotify particularly because it's particularly pernicious. They're trying to own all the audio content of the world. They don't pay well at all. And their model... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Favors the um, huge uh, publishing rights owners, you know, the big four or five or whatever it is, fewer than that. These these gigantic publishing behemoths um, and copyright holders who own everything. So, you know, if you're a, uh, an artist with an enormous back catalogue, you might be okay. But really, it's the majors, the major labels, the publishers who part-own Spotify. And Spotify isn't even washing its face. that They lost $194 million last year. And that's not unusual for them. And that's fine for them. Like, their long-term plan is to just starve everyone else out of the market, become the sole place that you would go to find any kind of audio content that's ever been recorded ever and then price gouge afterwards. But in the meantime, it's the artists who are suffering because it used to be that you could you could own, you know, a percentage of your music or whatever and 
you know, you you sell CDs. You can sell CDs out the back of a van and do all right. You can't do that anymore. And the technology is great. You know, being able to stream all the world's music is amazing. But I do think that like a tenor or whatever it is for a, a music streaming license on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, it's it's that's not enough to reflect the value of having access to all the music that's ever been recorded. But let's just assume that that is an appropriate price to pay per month for like this music tap. How should that be apportioned? Like at the moment, Spotify um, pays the rights holder per play 0.0001 penny or something. Um, so you need a billion plays to make a living off of, uh, off of a song. It's not really feasible for most people. You know, they could structure it differently so that a proportion of the money that you pay Spotify, according to the artists that you've streamed the most, gets paid to those artists. They could do that. That would make that was, sense, right? Surely. Well, it would be much more, much fairer for the musicians and rights holders. Um, yeah, that, that would be much fairer, I think. But, yeah, that was proposed by, I think, the lead singer of the Black Keys on the Joe Rogan podcast a while ago. But yeah, it was. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a great idea. It's much better. So, yeah, like, I'm not the first to say it. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm doing this thing at the moment where I am uh, offering remuneration to people in my Patreon uh, that give me ideas. Because I got so close with the people in my Patreon that I kind of felt weird kind of taking their ideas and not remunerating them for it. So I was like, maybe I should be remunerating them. Maybe this is, this is a community exercise. Yeah. Um, so, but like doing that kind of shines a light on just how unlikely it is that anyone will ever earn any money from the scheme. So I, I kind of like the idea that I'm shining a light on just how, you know, just how poor the deal is that Spotify gives you. But I mean, there's, there's solutions to it. I could put my music only out through Bandcamp, but then you don't reach people. So you're down if you do, you're down if you don't. Patreon, I think is the only way. Like if you like an, an artist, you have to. You have to sponsor them. Absolutely. That's way outside the remit of the question that you asked, which was just about like the length of tracks. And yeah, attention. no, but I think no. it all plays I mean, into it. it. It was, I think it was Amanda Palmer was the first artist that you know I watched like move over to literally everything being on Patreon, and you know what she's created over there is unbelievable, and like and the interaction and and that 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 fans of her work get from her incredible, absolutely incredible. It's. Uh, I think it's a far better setup for for artists to be able to, you know, earn some money for their work as well. And the people that you know, and and it's the people that that really give a shit can can show how much of a shit they give on Patreon. Love it. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Uh, when I was. About two years old, um, I was often to be found sat in front of the in the front of the stereo, entranced by "Hello" by Lionel Richie. What I mean for me, as as a kid, I think I saw that before I, I sort of heard it. It was the video that I think was the... <laughs> with uh, the clay head. The, with the, the clay head. Insane yeah, clay with the blind, the, the blind girl that makes this horrifying model of Lionel Richie's head out of clay. She turns Incredible. it around. Look, it's you. And it's like, ah! Yeah, I, I hadn't seen the music video. I just knew that there's like these like little arpeggiator synthy things that come in. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't heard the track for 
I don't know, 30 years properly. Um, and I listened to it the other day and I was like, wow, this, I can see why I was so in, like enraptured by this thing when I was like a toddler. It's amazing. It's this like triumph of production. Like it's of that kind of era just before digital came in when it was like, things were still like recorded to tape, but you had all this mad studio wizardry. You had people that had been like learning like how to do studio trickery from the days when studios were first properly invented with like actual multi-track recording and stuff like that. I don't know. I think in some senses, like Hello by Lionel Richie is maybe one of the best tracks ever mixed or produced. It's so good. And, oh, yeah. Lionel Richie's a Don. Legend. He's, uh, He's got a body of work. Yeah. He's a legend. Um, Big yeah. up Lionel Richie. One <laughs> <laughs> uh, of the first records I ever owned, uh, I, I bought a, a Commodore's album. I think it's called 13. And uh, and it was many years later. I just bought this this album randomly when I was really little. And uh, and a few years later, like my dad had, had bought Can't Slow Down, isn't it? The album with Hello on it, I think. Think and so. uh, and I bought so. that record, and that was on constantly in our house. And uh, and it took me a while before I realised that the, the 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 guy who had the, the, the same person, the, the plasticine head, yeah, <laughs> like was actually the the, <laughs> the dude in the flares on the back of the Commodores record. But uh, yeah, glorious, um, it's incredible. So just quickly, one one more thing on that that track. If you had to pinpoint the emotion that you got from hearing that what would that emotion have been uh well i distinctly remember being too young to understand all the words that were being said but it, like it was it's like I, there was there's imagery about like you i sometimes see you pass outside my door and i think i remember like looking towards the front door and, be, and being like oh it's as if she's there and i could just tell that like there's wistfulness in this song there's longing you know really effectively communicated by the song I didn't get like the romantic context, and he's just like he's just fantasizing about having sex with this stranger. But like I, I just <laughs> at the time I was like, I didn't I didn't understand that it what like like I don't know romance or longing was, but I understood that like I think I I perceived it to be sadness. Like it was like someone someone who he missed, someone that he used to know, and she's not there anymore. I think that's what I thought it was because I was like a baby and I didn't understand. I, I heard the word hello. I was like, hello. I was like, oh, she's not saying hello back, which made me sad. So, I was, I, yeah, I sort of, I got the sentiment of it, but like. There's definitely a sense of longing yeah. in that record, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pining for, for a girl. But I didn't understand the context is really, it's like, um, he's like, I want this girl sexually in my pants. But I didn't know that when I was a kid. So I, was, I just understood it to be some sort of wistfulness. Like, yeah. she, why doesn't the girl want to talk to the man? I didn't understand, but I, I got the, the emotional <laughs> content of it. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk school. Uh, yeah, tell me about the song that reminds you of them, please, mate. Now, well, hang on, wait, because I think I gave you a couple of options. You did. Which one did I? Which one did I end up picking? You gave me two. Yeah. I mean, we can talk both. They're both great records. I think, wait, hang on. Did I give you, it was America by Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, and then, sorry, sorry. I'm thinking of, you gave me two for the following one as well, I believe. Uh, but yeah, yeah right. it was. You the gave me Simon and Garfunkel and then I got a a, 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 a last minute message for Aphex Twin, right? 
I don't know because like to a certain extent like my choices in this are a propaganda exercise to make me look cool Um, so like I have to try and choose my choices carefully but like I don't know I was like really into Simon and Garfunkel when I was like a child and Mm -hmm. I remember listening to America by Simon and Garfunkel and just thinking this is absolute magic and understanding that there's something mystical about the uh this imagined america that americans believe in and that you know the, the you know being on the road and like traveling through america and seeing it change and so just getting that again a sort of wistful longing but like mixed in with this kind of li- like l- lament and sort of sad patriotism that doesn't quite resolve you know searching for america is, is this powerful and you know imagery of like I'm looking for America, but where the fuck is it? It doesn't really exist. Mm. It's like, you know, it's an idea and you're just traveling through this confusing melee of different towns and you're just experiencing travel and like this America that you're searching for, this idea that you've been sold doesn't really, doesn't really exist, but you meet people along the way, that kind of, kind of a Jack Kerouac-y yeah, sort totally. of, uh, stumbling a through the It's great song country. though, isn't it? It's, I mean, there's this one bit where the, the chord, the chord changes unexpectedly. There's this like modulation. There's several like, unexpected modulations in it, which are just gorgeous. It's gorgeous. When's that? Where, whereabouts is that? Um, it's when it says the line "America." It's in um, it's in like the home key. I forget what it is. It does this descending line, which is like the it's ding 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 ding, um, and then it changes to boom boom boom. Yeah. I can't remember what the intervals are. I'm not Jacob Collier. I can't just divine what they are from scratch. But like it's, um, it's a really unexpected twist, and it's absolutely beautiful. Very subtle, but like it, it says they've all gone to look for America, and it's in a different key yeah. to the home key. So suddenly it's like you're sort of travel weary, and then as you remember what your mission was, they've gone to look for America. It's like oh, that's why I'm here. There's this kind of wistful magical feeling but it's i don't know i find it particularly poignant because then i did go and travel around america when i was about 20 and i experienced this kind of duality where there's the imagined america and then the reality of america which is this corporate hellhole and um (laughs) and they're two very different things and of course now now they're kind of completely split where like there's two factions in america one who like longs for an america that never was and one who wants to like build uh, a, a new more progressive one and like they're both waking up for the, from the American dream and they think that each other are dreaming and it's nuts. So like America's like, in terms of like the American dream, it's just disintegrated completely and people are waking up from it and they don't know what the fuck to do with themselves. So I don't know. I think that song's still really resonant. But the other track that I was going to choose was one that I was into when I was more of a, like a teenager and I was, I was like Kazar and, and Napster and stuff. I was just downloading stuff and, um, you know, Actually, I think I bought this. I bought this. It's on Window Liquor, the Window Liquor single. Mm. And it's like Delta Sigma 3X, whatever factor of... I'm, I'm glad you announced that because I wasn't so, going to yeah. attempt it. I don't know how to pronounce it. Most people just call it Equation, but it's this mad... It's one of the maddest tracks that anyone's ever done. And that's science yeah. signed by standards. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, like, because, you know, Richard James, Aphex, McTwins was... Uh, a sort of analog man doing crazy analog stuff in his earlier years and then he got a computer and was like i wonder how far i can push this and it was ended up at this thing that's like i don't know it's one of the most it's one of the craziest pieces of music that's ever existed so i know it's very different to the simon and garfunkel one but i used to listen to it on repeat 
and I like memorized it all as much as one can memorize like <laughs> insane digital noise music. But it's uh, yeah, that's years. that's pretty fucking intense music to be listening to as a schoolboy. Uh, well, you know, school's a lot of pressure. You've got to take the load off somehow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I like that tune because it kind of is, it's the uh, tunes like that are the only things that match the level of madness in my head. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it sounds like that in my brain like all the time. Like I, I was surprised when I found mate, out. Mate, you need to go and stick on some Simon and Garfunkel, mate. Yeah, yeah. I found out, apparently, most people have like an inner voice, like an inner monologue, which is like a, a voice talking. You've got the thoughts. works of Apex Twin. Yeah, I don't have like a. I have to really deliberately have like an inner voice that says words. Like usually, yeah. it's just playing back music I've heard or just doing that, just fucking mad sound. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh my life um <laughs> tell me a, li- a little bit about school how was it and where, uh, and where was it my primary school was nice and fun and then i went to this like really austere boys school where you had to have a briefcase and you couldn't have any like clothes with logos on them and stuff like you got a saturday detention if you had a jacket that was any color other than black or navy blue and had a logo bigger than two postage stamps and um, so i fell afoul of that fairly quickly and started to curdle into the twisted wreckage that I am today. <laughs> oh, if I had to take a briefcase to school, man, I would be listening to Aphex Twin on my Walkman. Yeah, right. 100%. They drove me to it. They drove me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have... Um, like, I, I presume that that was, you know, set up to, to, to give you a very good education. And was... I mean, I'm imagining it's a stupid question asking if you was a, a creative kid. Wait, what's the question? Was you a creative kid? Um, yeah, yeah. I was always drawing, designing things, um, always writing songs. At the age of five, just writing songs, not for anyone or anything, just like because that was how I thought. That's how, like I said, I didn't have an in a, in a monologue as such. I would have like songs in my head all the time. Other people's, my own. So like, yeah, just constantly like on the piano, working out whatever songs are in my head. Sometimes I'm just like transcribing things I've heard by ear. Um, yeah, just I don't know. Just I, I guess I think in music, I suppose. But with all of that, when you sit down with a careers officer at school, what did you tell him you wanted to be? I wanted to be a designer actually, because my parents had managed to successfully convince me that music isn't a career. I, that, they're probably right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they saw Spotify coming. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. No, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I wanted to be a designer, and I still am to a degree because I, I, I'm. I make my own sort of software and um, I design my own interfaces for controlling all my live music gear stuff. So I'm always designing, I'm always kind of configuring, you know, always learning, you know, programming languages and, and figuring out how things work and trying to reverse engineer stuff. And I, I don't know, I kind of see like music and technology as being essentially the same thing. I mean, because like you've got these days, especially, you've got music. And then you've got the technology that you make the music with and like a guitar is a piece of technology, a piano is a piece of technology. And then what goes into those things is like physics and music theory. Uh, these days with um, you know, like using computers to make music or using like, you know, sequences or drum machines or whatever, that technology is, is utilizing music theory to do it. So if you want to understand it, you've got to understand the music theory behind it. So I kind of see it as this kind of continuum 
of like emotions brought about through music, brought about through technology, brought about through music theory, brought about through like fundamental physics and maths and stuff. So it's all the same. Okay. Sorry, that wasn't your question either. I keep answering questions that are in my That's own. That's all right. Head. I'm liking it. That appear to me as Aphex Twin tracks. I'm just <laughs> answering to the noise <laughs> in my fucking head. <laughs> Yeah. Um, tell me the first song you bought from a record shop. Do you know what? Maybe it's time to come clean. This um, can't be cool. You've had cool fucking records so far. Well, no I one's know. first record's cool. No, we, oh, fuck, it was really uncool. I think I think it may have been, like, amongst the records I bought, and I can't remember which the first ones were, it might have been Peaches by the presidents of the United States of America. Right. But it might have been earlier than that. It might have been like Scatman by Scatman John or something like that. <laughs> it might have even been the fucking Macarena because I first like kissed a girl on the dance floor to that when I was like 13 or something. It might be that. Um, but the, the one that I put down is the Batman Forever soundtrack because I thought I was buying the Danny Elfman score to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got it home and it was this, it like, introduced me to loads of different styles of music and artists that I'd never heard before. There was like tracks by like, like Method Man and like Mazzy Star, Sunny Day Real Estate, Brandy, uh, U2. <laughs> I don't know. It was like, it was a mad mixture. Oh of... yeah. U2 was the whole me, kiss me, kill me, threw me thing. Yeah. One, wasn't it? That's yeah. right. Which I'm sorry is a tune. Like everything on that album is, is an amazing tune. The Flaming Lips. What well, Flaming Lips track there. was on there? Um, bad days. Right. Your bad oh, days so will end. You hate your boss at your job, but in your dreams you can blow his head off. <laughs> That's a pretty decent wine coin you do there, mate. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So one of the tracks I've chosen was Eight by Sunny Day Real Estate because that was like, it's one of the kind of mind blow tracks. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with triazicide insect killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on triazicide insect killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Like it's um, Sunny Day Real Estate are a mad band. They sound like a bit like a bit like Slint or something. They're kind of like yeah. post rock, sort of aggro, grungy sort of post hardcore, post rock kind of thing. And um, they were Seattle, weren't they? Amazing. Hey, were they from Seattle? They may have been. I don't know much about them. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think one of them uh, ended up yeah. in the Foo Fighters. Fuck off. No, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. Hang on, I've got to Google that now. Early Foo Fighters, I think one of them is in Foo's. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look that up now. <laughs> now I need to know. You can, you can edit this out. That's cool. Kn- That's cool. Now I need to know. 
Right. Now we need to know. Was it Jeremy Ennig, Dan Horner, or William Goldsmith? I don't think any of those ended up in. Let me see. First one, I believe. Uh, I don't know. We can look this. You can look that up. I don't think. Uh, I might be wrong. I think you're wrong. Yeah. Let me have. <laughs> I don't know though. I'm looking it up. Jeremy Ennig. Uh, Ignore uh, it. No worries. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't. I think I would have like. Oh. Oh no no no! You're right, William Goldsmith. <laughs> oh, he was he was the drummer. Yeah. Yeah, he Fucking was. Hell. I think he was the guy that um, joined the Foo Fighters, and then Dave re-recorded the drums himself. And and I think he oh, was really? like, "Yeah, I'm out of here." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, right. Tell me. Um, yeah, yeah. So there was two, wasn't there? There was the, the, the Sunny Day Real Estate. Oh, yeah. So then Sunny Day Real Estate, the, the track eight by Sunny Day Real Estate, which like turned up on this Batman Forever soundtrack, which, uh, yeah, that was, one, I, that, that was one of the first things I ever bought. Maybe that was the first album I ever bought. Um, or there's this other track that's on there called Where Are You Now by Brandy, which... Um, it uses, I think it's like a uh, sample that Dilla used, which has turned up in fuckloads of songs. And I forget what the break's called, but it's like a really classic break. And then it's like this really funky little jam. I don't know. I could have chosen any of the tracks in that album. Yeah. They're all fucking great. Okay. Track five. Tell me the song that soundtracked your time clubbing. Yeah. Messiah by Conflict. I mean, that's a fucking heavy record, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, I just remember being... Um, in an altered state, shall we say, on multiple dance floors. And whenever that track came on, it was like a holy moment. It's like you've had all these bangers and, like, you know, tear-out shit and rollers and stuff like that. And then suddenly, like, Messiah comes on. And, like, everyone just fucking stands still and, like, waits. And they just, like, breathe in the air as these, like, backwards bits of sound design are sort of echoing through this, like, long-ass chord. It's just like a, a really long minor triad. It's a bit like the beginning of uh, Running Up That Hill. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Like, just atmospheric drone. And for people who are on a bunch of Midmar, they're like, <laughs> shall we say, to just say it out loud. Um, yeah, no, you're like in this, like, suddenly in this, like, spiritual kind of, like, vortex. This big, giant black hole. And suddenly this like this just oh comes out of nowhere and then this mad hoover bass line it's insane i've never heard a tune like it because the like we were saying the patience like for that tune to hit you've got to have about what's like a minute's worth of just you know this these swells of pads and like sound design elements coming in and out while this like just airy drone this ominous airy drone just plays it's a bit like like Brian Eno had this thing about when he was making his discrete music, music for airports and stuff. He was, he had this whole thing about music that doesn't have any edges. You know, it needs to sort of fade in and fade out and you you mustn't be able to pinpoint where you are in the music. So there's that. You need to have that experience for it then to hit and you feel like the fucking portal has opened up and by the time the tune comes in, you're just in another fucking world. Yeah. It's absolutely mental. So yeah, yeah. Conflict, Messiah. Lovely. Bad tune. I'm going to take you home. Tell me 
favourite song from an artist from your home county, please? Uh, Just by Radiohead. Okay. Oh, from my home county. Uh, Fuck, I thought, I thought it said country. Don't worry, don't worry. You're, no, wait, you're... wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, hang on, hang on. I misunderstood that question. What fucking county am I from? I'm from Middlesex. Which fucking musicians are from Middlesex? Fucking Craig David? I don't know. Which? <laughs> Who the fuck is from? I bet loads of... Probably Joe Strummer might be from Middlesex. Fuck knows. I don't know. Who's from Middlesex? Do, am I going to have to Google this? Musicians from Middlesex. <laughs> Just, just for peace of mind, you'd be about the 350th person that thought it said country and not county. Oh, fucking hell. This is Jesus. Okay, so here's my short list of people I can choose Who you from. got? <laughs> Phil Collins. Nope. Noel Coward. Nope. John Entwistle. Nope. Chaz Hodges. Don't know who that is. Chaz Hodges? How can you not know Chaz oh, Hodges is? fucking Chaz is in Chaz and Dave Of course. Chaz. One of the greatest oh, fucking bass players ever. I didn't know his name. <laughs> I didn't know his surname. I thought his surname was Andy. Um, yeah. Who else we got? Brian May? Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot to choose from here. That's good. Brian May, maybe. Brian May is fucking awesome. I don't love that they're sort of doing the Queen thing with like a sort of rolling roster of people that aren't Freddie Mercury. Mm, that, I, find that irk, I find that irksome. But um, oh, Rick Wakeman, the first concert I ever did were... I uh, did? Uh, sorry. The first concert I ever attended was a Rick Wakeman concert in 1990, maybe, with uh, my parents in Harrow Arts Centre. It was called the Alone at Last Tour, spelt loan, L-O-A-N. Ah, <laughs> and um see what you done there nice work Rick. yeah it was clever and but i fell asleep in the concert because it was really fucking tedious it was just <laughs> I, I loved the um i loved i loved his work i would listen to it to to like work do homework to and stuff but then actually to to be there in the concert was uh i just, <laughs> I just fell asleep <laughs> so where was he at, at that point is it had he kind of got rid of the, the capes and stuff or was he still just like progging it to the yeah. max i don't recall him wearing unusual clobber Right. I think I don't think he was wearing a wizard's outfit because he does now when he's playing with like yes still, um, yeah. God, I don't know. Elton John, you've got a lot of rock royalty there, haven't you? Jimmy Page. I mean, God. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to choose from. So uh, I've got to choose from uh, Ronnie Wood, Charlie Watts. Yeah, Jimmy Page, Keith Moon. There's a lot to choose from here. I don't know. But I think maybe Brian May. If I had to choose from Middlesex. From the Middlesex um, luminaries, yeah. Let's let's go. Let's go with Brian May. Lovely, yeah. lovely. <laughs> but I'm now intrigued to know that the favourite song from your home country is just by Radiohead. Oh well, actually, sorry. No, if I had to choose a song by Brian May, it would be um, Prophet Song. Okay, that would be the one. That would be the one. If I'm actually answering the question properly. But I, when I thought it said country, it was just by Radiohead because I. By my estimation, just is the greatest song ever written. Tell me more about it's, why you think that. Okay, it's just objectively true. And if you think otherwise, you're wrong. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> and I'll, I'll bottle you. No, no, it's, um, yeah. It's, <laughs> no, just is amazing. It's like, it, it hit me like square in the, in the teen angst when I was like 14 or whatever. Um, I think I was having a bit of a, bit of a teenage wobble and being like, Hmm, these emotions are complex uh, and uh, maybe I feel slightly sad with the hormones and rejection and stuff. And then this song comes on, on like a Walkman or something. 
And it like, it just like spoke to me the exact thing that I was thinking and feeling at the time. And the way that the song's structured is so perfect for someone who's in that state of like thinking, maybe I'm the problem here. Maybe I, <laughs> maybe like I'm acting in a way that, that I can stop. And like, you know, because when you're, when you're learning to have agency over your mood, your actions, that's, cause that's a sort of adult um, facility to have like, a, you know, to, to encase your cognition within another level of control to sort of to, to do that that adult thing um it's it's that feeling it's it's that kind of the way the song's structured it's a beautifully structured song it's kind of a critique of the self-hatred engendered by grunge um where it's kind of wrestling you out of the nirvana kind of funk where it's like oh, I hate myself and everything is bad and there's no point in anything, nihilism, I suck, everything sucks and the kind of reveling in everyone hating themselves and thinking that nothing matters. And then this song is like, actually, just stop it. So like, yeah, you might think it's, it's a song about like finger pointing at your id, your ego, and just being like, you know, you're, you're the problem. But it's actually, I find it like rejuvenating because it's like, I, that, that sentiment doesn't really hit me anymore because it's I'm not at that like pivotal developmental stage now. Like it still has resonance. Maybe that that message is still there, but like I can never get back to that feeling of having a song which felt like it was literally written for me in that moment, and was and the journey of the song is this journey of like sort of mocking, knowing self hatred, sort of turning into um, a kind of realization that is helpful questioning it and then getting really angry at yourself not for having realized it earlier and then managing to break free of all of those feelings and just let loose what i can't really put into words what i i mean like it's so perfectly done if you listen to it and you have that in mind the way it's structured the way that the guitar kind of goes up from kind of the normal register of a guitar seamlessly into this pitch shifter madness and you don't know when it's going to end and it's got this almost king crimson like uh scale that it just disappears off to until you can barely believe that it's happening and then just the right amount of sort of grunginess and dirt as it starts to degrade at the end of that high note back into these kind of there's these like funky riffs and stuff it's like there's so much going on in that fucking song um yeah, it feels like one extremely coherent journey. I don't think Radiohead have ever bettered it. It was. I don't think anyone's ever written a song that good, that works that well, that's that well-crafted, and that is that genuine an expression of, like... It's, it feels like the working out of an emotion. It's like you can feel Tom York realizing these, like, life lessons in real time and the chords and the journey of the song and the the pauses in the song, everything. It's using all these kind of rock tropes and advancing them just to get these core emotional journeys across. And there's like five or six different emotional journeys simultaneously going on in the song that which win out at different stages, which is kind of how it feels if you're engaging in some sort of self-help, self-talk, self-doubt. Um, I mean, Radiohead are good at that. That's yeah. one of the things they do is like, it's these kind of this inner life. But like everything else on the bends, I felt was like more monolithic than that, where it's like there's one particular kind of mental journey that's being expressed. But in just, I feel like it's, I don't know. For me, that was, it was a turning point for me in just like 
encapsulating what I was going through as a teenager. It's fucking so fucking good. But there you go. It's uh, it's got an incredible intro as well. Uh, pulls you it in does, straight yeah. away. Yeah, with with a kind of you know twisted critique of grunge teen, almost of t- of teen spirit. Yeah, you know, um, fucking, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last track. Um, tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Uh, which one? did I choose? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mutilated Lips by Ween. I mean, I don't know what will be more sinister to have rattling around inside your head, whether it be the complete works of Aphex Twin or the complete works <laughs> of Ween. Either or. <laughs> Fucking batshit. Yeah. Ween are the greatest band of all time. They are better than the Beatles. They are just... They, they There should be statues of them in, like... I don't know, somewhere like in like Alaska, somewhere or, or like somewhere very cold where, where it'll never, no civilization will ever settle there and pull the statues down. So that like a civilization big ice in, man in thousands of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that in thousands of years' time when humanity's died out and like the lizards have like risen again, that they will, they'll find these statues of Wayne. And we should also like imprint like the whole of Wayne's catalog onto something that can be played back in thousands of years, granite. I don't know, Diamond. It needs to be preserved. It's very important for the universe that Mutilated Lips by Ween travels out to the outer reaches of the spiral arms of the galaxy. It's magic. <laughs> Tell it's magic. me how you discovered Ween. Oh, I think like Pandora Radio or whatever it was in the early noughties or yeah. like the illegal file sharing services that were around then. Um, because... Something like that. Chanced upon them. But it's like you find one Ween track and you're like, oh, that's weird. Because um, it sounds like a like a normal song, but then there's these strange little smirks and jokes and little comedic elements in it that you're like, are they joking? Is that a joke? Did they mean that? What was that weird fucking lyric? That's like they'll sometimes they'll be like a song that sounds like it's kind of trad. It's like in a given style, but then there'll be elements in it. You're like, that doesn't belong there. What the fuck is this? And then you start to pull on the thread and you find other Ween songs and you're like, wait, is this the same band? And then you look through their history and you're like, wait, so they fucking started off as like a punky kind of hardcore band with screaming and shit when they were teenagers. And then they kind of progressed to this like weird homemade sludgecore brown like oddness, uh, which is like really hard to get through. But there's those little gems of like the most beautiful songs ever written in those early albums. And then they progressed on to this like psychedelic joke band that also happens to have grown into the most phenomenal musicians and songwriters ever. Uh, and then they progressed into being like a real band with unbelievable production values and incredible songwriting, but still with a little smirk. And then, and then ended up being just releasing, like by the time they got to um, their album Quebec, they were just the best band of all time. Just incredible like an amazing synthesis of all of those things. Um, I mean, fuck, they're just so good. And then they released another album after that, which was like, uh, again, genius, but like, I mean, I don't know. They're genius. They're just, and they've made thousands of songs, many of which they didn't release. And you, you can only find if you're like a diehard fan and you're on all the fan servers and stuff. They are incredible. They're incredible. And they're, they're, they're pretty niche, but like, they're not that niche. Like they just did a uh, a concert with the, it was the they they did a couple of tracks for South Park because they're best mates with Matt and Trey. Oh, that and makes they, so much sense. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone directed one of their music videos back in the day. And so there was just a 25, a 25 year anniversary concert by, um, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, um, of, yeah, 25 anniversary of South Park and, and Ween and Primus were both there. So it was a very weird gig, <laughs> like all the show tunes from South Park and Ween and Primus playing their own songs, like all jamming together. It's a fucking strange show, but really good. Um, My but yeah, the best... God, Ween and Les Claypool on one stage. That's fucking insane, yeah. isn't it? Les Claypool's a weird dude. Yeah. He's a really weird dude. Like, it's genuinely kooky. Like, he's the kind of person that's got more confidence than anyone should reasonably have. <laughs> Especially when he's... Because like, the music he's playing is like... It's so weird. It's so weird. It's, it's not even that pleasant to listen to. It's really hard going. It's very, like, sparse, but kind of it's got this odd kind of carnival element it's kind of like the kind of feeling that you get when you're just coming down off of shrooms or something <laughs> you're just like, like what is going on uh what is funny is that funny i don't know is that serious what is a joke like this is but it's weird because like <laughs> uh, that both of them bands used to get played in the clubs that i'd go to and the like fucking clubs played primus that you went to so i'm what? I'm I'm 49, so I'm a bit older than you, and uh, right. And I've I, I run I've run a club for, for for 30 years in Essex, a, a kind of weird little alternative place, and uh, and Primus used to get played because Primus used to get lumped in with like the Chili Peppers and Fishbone and Faith No More. They used to get sort of thrown in right. the mix with, with bands like right, that. Right, and right. Wayne, like Push the Daisies, was getting played alongside, you know, Pavement and Sebado and and stuff like that. They were getting sort of bolted into the, the, the lo-fi thing. So them tracks right, were right. getting played in clubs. And yeah, right. it's not easy to dance to Primus, man. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, need, you'd need that level of Les Claypool's confidence to dance to that. But, yeah, right. But uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good, man. You're the first person to mention Ween on this podcast. And we're 450 episodes in, so it's good, man. Like, I've got a lot of time for Ween, so it's nice to have someone throw him in the mix. Big up, Ween. I, I had a th- I was chatting to a bunch of my patrons on the server the other day, and me and one of them were just chatting about. We, I, we, I found out that he was also a massive Ween head, and like we're just like going off at each other about. Oh, have you heard this one weird B side? And like, oh, you've got a, you've got to send me all the the like secret tracks that you've got and the outtakes and stuff. And like one by one, people are leaving the chat channel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. I'm a huge, huge, huge Ween fan. They're just I could talk about them for hours, so you better just stop me before I do. Okay. Well, what I'll do is I'll ask you to tell me a little bit more about what you're up to. So um, this year, we're out of lockdown. Everything seems to be getting back to a uh, a, a sense of normality that we're, we're more familiar with again. Um, just in time for World War Three and economic collapse. Wee! Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Where the fuck are the horsemen at? The fucking apocalypse. Let's do it. Shit. Yeah. When when shit happens and you're 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 riding that horse into fucking mayhem, what what are you gonna have on your headphones? <laughs> what, am I, what am I gonna listen to when the apocalypse starts yeah. in earnest? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of apocalypse are we talking? And what 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 shall be the form of my destructor? What is it gonna be? I think uh oh. I don't know. I don't know if, if I. Uh, <laughs> it, it will be a, a level of pressure that mentally you can't cope with that you spontaneously combust. I think, weirdly, I think I would be able to cope with the apocalypse. So if they were like, there's half an hour to go before the nukes land, I think 
Well, first you'd be hit by utter shock. Right. And shock so great that you wouldn't be able to process it. I think it would be a bit like what happened in the pandemic. Some people would have a shock response that would manifest as just catatonic, frozen to the spot, disbelief. Others would be panicking and screaming. Um, I don't think anyone is going to have the wherewithal to like meditate at that point and be like, I better have like, I better make the most of the now while I still have a now to make Mm. the most of, you know, depends on your situation, who's around you. Like if you've got kids, you'll just be, I think you'll, you might just manage to, if you know that it's going to be quick, if you're in like the immediate blast radius, you know, if you, if you live within like zone three, you know, in London, I think you just try and just tell your kids you love them and just give them big cuddles really. And then, um, and then you'll be evaporated. Um, it, you'll, there's a bit more of a problem if you're in zone six or outside that, because then you've got to contend with like third degree burns and debris and stuff like that. If you're if you're outside of of a major uh, urban center, you'll be in a sort of slow uh, radiation sickness, which is much harder to get your head around. So then you'll probably fling on a bit. Yes. I mean, it's it's to be honest, from the EMP that would happen uh, would. Quite possibly render lots of your electronic devices uh, useless anyway. You certainly wouldn't be able to do any fucking streaming, that's for sure. Mm. So you just have to contend with whatever you've downloaded. So I think download music now, just in case you're good idea. Good outside idea. of the immediate blast radius of a um, nuclear warhead, and then you'll be able to sort of live out the last few months of civilization, listening to whatever you whatever you've stored, really. But make sure you line your um, music player with uh, lead so that the EMP sort of actually would that work would a Faraday cage even work I don't know I'll have to look into this <laughs> Google that Google that mate and let us know please it's quite important yeah, mate, yeah, yeah I will I'm in the blast zone if I've got three minutes I'm literally I'm going to say tell out to my kids I'm going to sling on fucking Messiah's conflict and, and I'm literally going <laughs> to go and smash the geezer who lives at the end of my road oh, who I don't like right square oh, on the chops <laughs> amazing wow. wow you'll be an agent of chaos incredible fair enough Mate, I've had such a lovely time uh, chatting to you, man. It's been really oh, good me fun, too, mate. Man, it's been great. <laughs> Thanks so much for it. Yeah, wicked. Um, dude, if people want to find out everything that you're up to, um, whether it's the Patreon, whether it's any releases, gigs, anything, where's the best place to keep up to speed? All you're doing? Uh, go to the Google and type in my name, and you'll find me. But Patreon is the place where things happen. And you can help me survive and find all my little nuggets of content that I make and you can enjoy them. And then if you feel like doing so, you can become part of the community that helps me to keep doing it because God knows Spotify aren't helping anyone. So, uh, yeah, help brother out. Help me pay my bills because we'll that's what you sure. should. That's what you should use your money for. Don't pay your own electricity bill. Just refuse to pay. Pay me instead. It's much better. You don't need heating. You need art. Keep bidding, yeah. man. Warm. Yeah. Sure. We'll uh, put the Patreon address in, uh, in in the show notes for this as well, so people can go and find it. Honestly, mate, thanks again. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you. Thanks, man. It's been wicked. Take care. Cheers. Bye. There you go. Finally, we talk about Ween. We get to talk about Ween and Primus. 
definitely a first for both on this podcast. And uh, yeah, I didn't think we'd go from uh, Lionel Richie uh, to Brandy to Ween. That's what I love about this podcast. Um, how cool was Beardy Man? Um, just uh, really interesting uh, dude and like amazing answers. You know, the way that he, he, he broke down and described, you know, what, what he hears when he when he plays just by Radiohead it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. So, uh, so go check him out. If you haven't already, um, yeah, give him a follow on the socials. Go Google him. He told you what to do. And, uh, yeah, go explore his Patreon. Uh, and while you're there, have a little look at mine. And uh, you can find out about that uh, at patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. And anything else you need to know about this podcast, your one-stop shop is the website, off the beat and track podcast.com. I'm back next time. Until then, uh, just be nice to each other and I'll see you soon. Love ya. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whipping. Eat a